Well, this week, uh, the Arena Football League made an announcement that could very change the fabric of what is arena football today. Uh, we want to get see if we can get a little bit more answers on the situation and, and what may be coming for the Arena Football League in 2020 uh, by bringing along uh, the commissioner of the Arena Football League, Randall Bow. Hey, Randall, thanks for joining us. Hey oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, obviously, with the announcement that was made on Tuesday, it was announced that the, the league was um, closing local operations of all the six teams. And current, I guess we could say taking the taking what it is the league currently in house and they, all the work would be doing there. Um, the first question that we wanted to ask you, though, uh, before we get to the meat of it, is why did the league decide to make the announcement via a local paper rather than make an announcement themselves online? Well, um, that's a very good question. Um, we had the as we talked about the announcement and what to do and, and, you know, ultimately we did put out a statement, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and put that online and, and, and did that, but, you know, statements are statements. And so, um, the times union, which has covered us pretty extensively since the team in Albany launched, um, you know, was interested in, writing a story about this. And so, you know, the thought was that, um, you know, a story in a newspaper gives it, you know, there's an opportunity to tell more of a story. Like if if we just put out a press statement, it's pretty cold and, and, you know, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really tell a story. Right. 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 And so, so we saw this as an opportunity because I think it's important to understand the context, to understand our thinking um, you know, and it, and it's hard to convey that just in a flat one dimensional, two dimensional press statement. Right. So, so that's why we did it the way we did it, working with a reporter, giving him all the facts, you know, letting him ask questions and then, you know, having him ultimately tell, you know, put more of a narrative around what we were trying to do as opposed to just making the, you know, the stark announcement, no pun intended. Right. Right. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> um, Okay, being that you say that and and how you how you phrase it, um, how long had when was the first decision made to make this announcement? Because obviously we know that the, the I guess we could say the catalyst of uh, one of the catalysts of making this decision was the lawsuit um, that is between the uh, the, the, insurance company, the insurance company for Workman's Comp and the and Arena Football One. Um, how how long had uh, this been talked about? I mean, b- before the decision was actually made to to make the announcement. Well, so so going going back, um, you know, when the in two thousand and eighteen, when when I became commissioner, you know, we didn't have a collective bargaining agreement with the union. We had lost Tampa Bay and Cleveland, uh, and so we were down to four teams, and. We got the collective bargaining agreement done at the very last moment. I mean, literally at the last moment. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided to play with four teams, even though we knew, you know, we were going to take a bath on that. But we we did it because we thought that if we, you know, missed a season at that point, you know, I, I thought it would be very, very difficult to relaunch after that. So we bit the bullet. We played with four teams that year. And we then, after the season, started thinking, okay, so what can we do 
to make a go of this because we know that the traditional model, you know, local owners and local markets had not worked for the Arena Football League. Um, so, so we knew we needed to change that. Plus, we didn't really have good prospects out there for, for local ownership. So that's when we hit on the idea of restructuring the league, you know, turning it into, a, you know, a, a structure where the league itself owned and operated all the teams. And, you know, our former team owners, Monumental and Trifecta, would become shareholders in the company and would contribute their teams, the Valor, the Brigade, the Soul, Blackjacks, you know, the Empire, and, and then Columbus. So we took those four teams and then we launched Atlantic City and Columbus ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we and we and that's how we ran it for the year. Um so the whole thing was, and a big part of the restructuring was to make it possible to get third-party capital invested in the league because we knew that Monumental and Trifecta, you know, by themselves were not going to be able to do it, you know, not, not really what they are in the business of doing. Um, and they had already stepped up to the plate and financed us so that we could put on the 2019 season. Right. So... Um, so that was, that was how we approached the season and we, we launched and our goal was to have as good a season as we could to get the game in front of as many people as we could and generate, you know, a lot of enthusiasm and, and, you know, amp up our place in the market, start working on integrating sports betting. I mean, all those things that we, that we worked on it. And I, I think we had a fantastic season. I think we showed progress in every category that we tracked. Um, but we also knew that the league was going to require, and at the time, I think we were looking at needing to raise between 40 and $60 million. And what that would have enabled us to do is to continue to pursue the plan where we would launch two more local operations, you know, between two and four local operations every year. Um, because the other thing we knew is that simply having a, a string of arena football league teams in markets, a lot of them smaller markets, was not by itself going to turn into any kind of successful business. The only way the league was going to be successful and thrive and be able to expand was if it was able to get a national footprint and start tapping into national revenue sources like, you know, rights fees and media distribution and sponsorship sales, all those things. So the local operation growth was intended to eventually create a national footprint of teams. And we, we thought that getting to scale would, I mean, we would start to see some of the benefits of that by the time we got to 10 or 12 teams, probably closer to 12 teams. Right. Um, but we needed to raise that capital and, and the capital we were out raising um, you know, we, we thought would get us through a little over three years and that's where we saw the, you know, the bridge to, to break even and then profitability beyond that. Um, so the, the, the long story is we, you know, we've had a ton of meetings last summer. Um, we worked really hard at putting the league in front of a lot of different potential investors and we just didn't have the interest, um, that we needed to be able to continue to pull off that plan. Um, it just wasn't there. And so, you know, we knew that we had funding basically 
you know, through the season and, and monumental and, and trifecta have continued to provide, you know, kind of skeleton level funding to keep us going during the off season while we look and see if there's a way to pivot. Um, and you know, what we, what we came up with a few weeks ago, uh, was, um, you know, what I refer to as the touring model. Right. And, you know, have read a lot and uh, about the premier lacrosse league, uh, you know, and, and they were successful in raising third party capital and they actually used the same bankers that we used. So we were very familiar with the business model and they launched last year and, and they had pretty good results. I mean, considering it was their first year, but they managed to play games, you know, all across the country. And I think it helped them jumpstart that national footprint. You know, you, if you, you play six games in Albany and, and that's great for the Albany market, I'm not sure how many fans it develops on the West coast. And, you know, so to our way of thinking, you know, potentially, you know, putting four games a season out in Las Vegas, you know, playing some games in California, playing some games in Chicago, some, you know, hitting some, you know, old AFL cities, right. Where we did really well. I mean, it, it struck us that there was an opportunity to, to bring arena football to a wider audience, which would then enable us to tap into that, you know, national revenue base a little faster and, and a little more efficiently, you know, it's expensive to set up a business operation and launch a team and in, in a market. I mean, it, it takes, it's fairly capital intensive. Right. So, so this, this idea would, you know, change the way we would do it. We would, you know, probably set up training, regional training centers, um, and have the teams live and practice there. And then, you know, we'd have a couple of games a year, depending on how long the season was a couple of games a year where we could, um, you know, we, we could play, you know, a couple of home games in Albany and in Columbus so that there would still feel, you know, there, you would have that connection and then you'd play the rest of your games, you know, on a touring basis in Las Vegas or California or Texas, wherever we thought would be, you know, a good venue for us. So, and and I think that's a really interesting model. Change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and we have to, we'll, we have some questions about that too. Because, but um, you you had mentioned the the capital raising. I mean, and the, was the were the were the the legacy costs and the uh, the lawsuit the last straw, or uh, you know, to, to make to make it's, this decision well, to, to switch? Because remember, last year you guys said we thought it was the the betting model. You go into cities where betting is is allowed, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you, you reply to that, to the DraftKings and, and et cetera. So where was the shift made? So am I understanding you're saying that it wasn't the lawsuit that actually made the shift, but this was the, no, no, we, we knew, we knew that we were going to have to pursue alternatives because mm-hmm. we simply didn't have the $40 million. And right. you know, the, the, the sports betting opportunity is still significant, but it's the kind of thing that is going to take, you know, a couple of years right. to really fully integrate, right? But doesn't happen overnight. And again, you know, until you have scale, you're not going to get that many dollars. Right. I mean, we, you know, if you go to like, we, we've talked a lot with MGM and rush street, you know, you go to one of their casinos and you know, if there are eight people betting on arena football league games and 108 betting on NFL games, you know, who's going to get more of their attention and more of their dollars. Okay. So building that audience is a critical component of that. Um, 
so we were we were looking at that as an option. We were evaluating a whole bunch of options, and we were still working to try to secure funding. Okay. And and then the lawsuit from AIG dropped, which mm-hmm. was what about two weeks ago. Uh, the sixteenth, yeah, on the sixteenth of October. Yeah, yeah. I, it was a Monday. I was in New York that day. I remember so. Um, and that you know, having I mean, we knew that that liability was out there. We just didn't know, you know, it had been quiet. We hadn't heard from them. So we had no idea um, when things were going to come to a head. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, boy, I mean, not only does it make our current financial situation even more precarious, but it also, to me, makes it very difficult to attract outside investment. You know, when, when the pitch is, hey, you know, the first couple million dollars that you put in don't go towards expanding the league or making it more profitable. It goes to pay off people, pay someone who didn't pay their bills 10 years ago, right? Right. That is not, that's not a great sales pitch. Well, that, that, that also begs the question, um, okay, is the league looking at other, uh, are they looking at an opportunity to go, up, to, uh, to go after the people who caused this lawsuit towards the AFL because what, whatever the determination is, obviously, whatever the league, does, you know, whether it be arbitration or whatever it ends up being, you know, if, if the league goes forward for 2020 and beyond, what, what, what will the league do to try to, if possible, recoup some of this money that you might have to end up paying out? I don't, I don't know that we can because it's technically done by the corporation. So, you know, it was a, it was a debt owed by the corporation and, and those, you know, LLCs over time, you know, I mean, I, I, we'll have to figure that out, but I, I'm not sure that there is recourse against any of the individuals. Now I will tell you that the lawsuit names like 40 of the teams from back in that time period. Yes. And so I, you know, I have no idea. I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm not the judge in this, but I, you know, I don't know what they'll be looking at in, in terms of, you know, going after those other defendants and yeah. we'll just have to see. Yeah. Cause there, there are currently three, uh, three active teams and other, other indoor leagues that, that, that are, yeah, yeah that are, are named in that. Um, yeah. okay. All right, John. Wow. So much to ask, <laughs> <laughs> but to just to say, Randall, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate oh, it. Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. Yes, absolutely. Uh, how about we talk about this touring model a little bit? Sure. Um, how does the touring model align with the vision that the AFL has had for like a data-driven model? Is it going to still be functioning in the same way? Has there been any thought to that yet? Yeah, I mean, I, as I, you know, I mean, I, I continue to work to kind of put meat on the bones of this to see, you know, whether it's something we could, we could really move to, um, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I think the way you would do it is, you know, the, the kind of expansion data analysis that, that we looked at, um, is actually, I think we would roll that same kind of analysis out and use that to pick the cities that we were going to play in. I mean, obviously, you'd want to play a bunch of games in Las Vegas and, and you know, it, we'd have the opportunity to get sponsored there. Um, but but I, I think that the data-driven approach is what makes this so interesting because 
we could, you know, optimize, like, here's where we're going to play, you know, and, and, you know, the, the other part of it that I think is interesting and it, and it's funny just having conversations. I run into a lot of people. Um, some of them are formally associated with the AFL and they're like, well, see, the problem is you've got to go back and you've got to start selling franchises to local ownership again. And I'm like, yeah, so no, I I feel like that was the problem for a long time. (laughs) And, um, I, you know, I, I just don't think a collection of arena football league franchises, you know, run by different ownership groups in different ways with different amounts of commitment. And I I just don't see that generating the value that a well-run centralized organization can, can create. And ultimately, and I've, I've said this a bunch of times, um, cause I really, I, I really have come to believe that it's true that what we're really in the business of doing in sports is developing a fan base. You can call it a fan base or an audience. You're developing an audience and then you're learning as much about that audience as you can so that you are then able to go and monetize that audience. And it takes a long time to grow national audiences by putting teams in local markets. And you can look at how long it took the NFL or how long it took the NBA to really get to where they are today. I mean, they didn't just get born and, you know, show up with, you know, that kind of media presence and that kind of fan base. That takes a long time to develop and it's expensive to develop. So to my way of thinking that the touring model actually holds out the promise of being able to generate an audience that would be larger. It would geographic geographically cover more of the country. Um, and, and I, I just think it creates a lot of advantages and we would generate that audience. I mean, I think we would rely really heavily on social media, you know, kind of all the, kind of the digital outreach that we were experimenting with this last year, I, I think that ends up being a much more efficient way of developing fans than parking a team in a local market for 10 years and, and, you know, developing the fan base that way. That, that's, uh, you know, and I, and I think it's in line with what you're seeing in terms of media consumption habits, particularly in the younger generations. Um, those younger demographics, you know, they don't go to that many games in any sport, you know, and that's the thing. If you look at an NFL audience and you know, what is it, you know, they get like what 30 million people watching a a game on Thursday night. I mean, how many of those people go to games? I don't, I don't, I mean, it's not all of them. You know, a lot of people go to like one NFL game a year. Yeah. Oh, the rising cost of those games too. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're rabid, they're rabid fans, right? And they're really valuable fans and they watch on TV and the NFL, you know, makes a ton of money, but it, it is, you know, attendance is a tool to help develop an audience. It is not the only way. And of the ways it's probably the most expensive. All right. Um, so, so Randall, I mean, the arena, the arena football league in 89, the China arena football league in 2016, the big three currently, and as you said, the PLL also, They've each tried this barnstorming tour-based model. I mean, are you are you confident that this rarely used model 
will be successful compared to what everybody considers traditional football? Well, look, I mean, you know, what you just did, I was joking earlier today, I mean, in law school, what they, when you ask a question like that, they call that putting the rabbit in the hat. Mm. Um, so, so, like, am I completely confident that the Turing model would work and be profitable? Not yet, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm not, I'm not going to make a, gu- a guarantee. Oh, no, no, um, I know. But, but, I mean... No, no, no. But, but here's the, here's, 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 I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, you're right. Um, I think that there are lots of difficulties in doing it. And, you know, one obvious difficulty is, all right, so you're playing a bunch of games in venues that, you know, are not quote home venues. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, you know, I think in the, in the, you know, in years gone by, it's harder, right? You got to go and market, you got to set up a marketing apparatus. So you're going to play the game in Akron or Cincinnati, right? You got to go market the game in Cincinnati and you got to activate all the local sponsors and, you know, and that's hard to do. And it's hard to do for a one-off, um, you know, if you're just going to play one game there. Um, but, but I think when you look at the change in, in media consumption habits, when you look at kind of habits around people going to games it's more of an event-based thing and i'm not sure that the future of arena football from a business perspective is you know trying to maximize the number of season tickets you can sell because i I just don't think that there are enough of those people and they're great fans i'm not i just don't think there are enough of those people that you can build a national audience around them um i think that the advent of digital media makes a model like this a lot more interesting um, because you can basically approach a market, see the market, you know, get enthusiasm going for a fraction of the cost that it used to take to, to market an event in a city. Um, so I think that is going forth. I think that, you know, I mean, I, I look at the WWE, right? They have a touring model. Mm-hmm. And that has been pretty successful and they've coupled it with a really innovative, you know, media distribution strategy, you know, having their own OTT network. And I mean, it's, it's clever stuff. So, you know, and the the third thing I would say, there's a lot of research out right now that suggests that fandom, especially in the younger demographics is changing away and it is less focused on quote, the home team. You know, people people root. If you look at the NBA, people tend to root for players, and they're you know Cleveland fans, and then they're Miami fans, and you know now they're Lakers fans, you know, or they're Spurs fans until you know someone goes to Toronto and then to the Clippers. Right. So the the following around the league is more player driven um, than it is driven by geographic considerations. Now make no mistake, those geographic considerations are still really important, especially in the big sports. You know, I mean, in Washington, DC is pretty excited to have a world series champion team. They were pretty excited to have a Stanley cup championship team. So that matters. But I think for arena football league teams, it matters a little less. And I think from the standpoint of building an audience, a nationwide audience, you want to get in front of as many people in as many places as you want to, as you can. And I, and I think the touring model accomplishes that. Now, 
down the road several years when you've built that audience and you're happily monetizing it and you're growing, you know, would you then look to branch back out and, you know, go back into local markets, you know, with a bigger presence? Yeah, I think absolutely you would do that. That, that would make a lot of sense for me, to me. But, you know, I think between here and there, it, that ends up being a very, very expensive way to grow the league. Um, and I think it takes longer than the touring model. So those are my thoughts. Can I ask a question on behalf of Ben that sort of follows up on that? Sure. Sure. Ben wants to know, aside from the potential restructuring, one of the prominent details to come out of this whole situation is the AFL might have been struggling to acquire some necessary capital to continue. How will you be positioning the game alternatively going forward to attract that necessary funding? Well, number one, our you know, the modeling work we've done so far suggests that this is a less expensive approach by far, substantially less expensive um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, so I think that makes it more attractive to third-party capital. I think one of the things we ran into is, you know, we restructured the league in the spring and launched and started playing, you know, in April. And at the same time, we were out raising money. So we had this new structure, this new strategy, and we really only had three months of results, right? It was hard to compare our results, the results we generated this last season in 2019 with 2018 when we sure. were operating with four teams under the old structure or 2007, right? It just was apples and oranges. And so I think a lot of people were interested and, and were very receptive, but I think they would like to see you know, a little bit more of a track record. And, you know, I, I get that. Um, so I think, you know, if we could find financing for the touring model for a couple of years, you know, so that we have a chance to build all the stuff we want to build and pursue the partnerships that we want to pursue, you know, then I think we're going to be in a position, you know, the next time we, we go out and, and try to raise money to say, look, here's exactly what we've accomplished you know, here are the trend lines, you know, here's what we've invested in, you know, look at the integration of sports betting and, you know, you know, game streaming. I mean, that's really cool. And it's generating, you know, this kind of uptake. We'll have all those numbers. We just, you know, we have a limited data set from one season. That's really all we have to show. And I, I think that they're, you know, obviously people like to see a little bit more than that when they're making those kinds of decisions. So, and frankly, I don't, I don't, you know, I think so the, the existence of those legacy liabilities hurt. And I, I think frankly, one of the things that hurt us a lot was just the fallout from the Alliance of American football collapse. You know, there was a league that had like a ton of money and, um, you know, I was, I was joking with someone who called for an interview, I guess it was a sports business journal. And he said, well, how much would you know, the, the touring model cost you. And I said, well, I don't want to like put a price tag on it right now, but you know, my, you know, the modeling that we've been doing suggested that I could pull it off for two years for less than two weeks of AAF funding. So people can go do the math themselves. Okay. So, uh, but, but the AAF failure, I think obviously cast a shadow over all of us. 
and I, and I think, you know, the XFL's impending launch and, and it's going to be, that's, you know, they have a lot of money and they're really smart and they do things the right way. So that's, that's going to be, you know, I think that's going to be a very successful effort. And I, I think that there's plenty of room for them to exist and thrive and for us to exist and thrive. But I think that that also created questions in the marketplace. Right. You know, how are you going to survive? I mean, why, you know, the AF had a lot more money and they couldn't make it. Why do you think you can? How are you going to compete with the XFL? There were a lot of questions like that. That again, I think operating for a couple of years and showing people is the best possible answer you can give. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. That's Tim. That's interesting stuff, man. Um, so going back to the uh, going back to the to the barnstorming travel model, um, you, you mentioned a few interesting things that you would be playing games uh, in the current, I would say, six, the current six cities is, uh, that are currently in yeah. the league. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, just, just, so, just so we're all clear, just, I don't mean to cut off your question, but yeah. just so, I mean, what we're looking at is, all right, could you keep the same six teams? Um, you know, you'd probably have them practice and live in different places so that you could reduce your workers' compensation expense because some states are way more expensive than other states. Um, and, and then, yeah, you'd play, you know, say you, say you cut it back to an eight-game season, uh, eight-game regular season, and you played two home games in all six of the existing markets. And then, so if you've got, if you have that configuration, what do you have? 20, you have a total of 24 regular season games, 12 of which would be played in the current local markets, and then the other 12 you'd play on the road. Okay. Now, obviously, the, maybe, yeah. the, the league is trying to uh, to attract more fans, but does will will won't the league be alienating the current fan base? The, the major uh, all cities have fan base science, and some are better than others. I'll, I'll use Albany as one of them. But are is the league are they afraid of alienating these current fans that they already have pulled in? I mean. A legacy uh, city like Albany, could they potentially have more than two home games? Based uh, just as an idea, based on the fact that how well they have drawn, Cleveland got better. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Columbus got better. Atlantic City seemed to be on the uptick. Now, mind you, Atlantic City. I think you have said before in the past that you could easily do a, an event type of thing in, in Atlantic City based on where they are, but. What I know, I've asked so many questions there. But first, I mean, are, is the league afraid of alienating those other the, the current fans in these cities? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, yeah, we're not we're not trying to alienate fans. Um, if my choice is playing zero games or two, I, I feel like two is a, a better answer for oh, most yeah. fans. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so you, I, I mean, was playing six home games in Atlantic City too many? Probably. I mean, given the size of the market and what we were able to do. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's written in stone. I mean, you know, if you've got a, you know, an audience and, and we know we do in, in Albany, right. You're growing an audience in Columbus and you want to, you know, play more games there. I don't see why you wouldn't do that. Okay. And, I, and I think, and I, and I, you know, you want to play in places you're popular. You're, you're you right. know, that's, um, so, you know, and then the thought is we'd have that eight game regular season and then we would go into playoffs. We'd have, you know, top four seeds, 
two, you know, two play two playoff games, and um, you know, some, and then uh, and then the Arena Bowl, two weeks of playoff games, and then okay. the Arena Bowl. So we we like hearing this, Commissioner. As you were saying before, I mean, it some games is better than none. <laughs> yes. Yes. Some is better than none, uh, John. So if and when this new model is launched, are you guys eyeing a rebrand for the whole league again, or would everything sort of stay in place as it is now? I think it would mostly stay in place. Okay, cool. I haven't really, haven't really gotten that far. I mean, I, I'm pretty happy with the with the league brand and the individual team brands. I mean, I, I'm pretty happy with those. Um, uh, I am too. Yeah, yeah. So I was the fans. Yeah, and I'm not sure, you know, everyone refers to it as the barnstorming model. I I prefer to think of it as touring, but that's fine. Oh, I I think for me, I'm using the old term from, I remember me being a lifer commission. It's it's a matter of, I'm I'm thinking of the term that they used back in 89, but you're correct. I think touring model actually does sound better. So I'll I'll give you that. So, (laughs) yeah, but that's fine. I, I, um, no, because I think it's, I think, you know, with, you know, with digital media the way it is, you know, your ability to create audiences, you know, that are, that start off as virtual is a lot easier these days. And those tools are a lot more powerful than they were in 1989. And certainly when, you know, they made the effort to do the touring model in China, which I think there are still technically teams touring there. They're actually, they're going to be going to their season two only this year. So, uh, you know, and I just like I, I look at the I look at the the lacrosse league, the Premier Lacrosse League. Right. I mean that that they had a good first season, and um, you know ultimately they would like to put down roots, right, and have teams in local markets. But to make that profitable, and and that's the other part of this, right? I mean it's yeah. it's about having a profitable enterprise. You know, a collection of unprofitable local market teams. Not all that attractive. Right. So you, would you say that your current idea is more in line with the Premier Lacrosse League rather than the Big Three? Because, I mean, they're similar, but the Big Three has similar. Like, has three games or four games in one weekend versus, I think, the PLL, which, what, is it only one or one game in, in a week or whatever it is in a different market? I, I didn't know much about the would... PLL until you brought it up. So I think they, I think they did, um, like, I think... They were in some markets, like in Chicago and Baltimore. I think they did like multiple games. Okay, like they did. I, I think, and then I think like when they went up to Albany, I think they just played one game. I, I don't know, but um, I mean, I would be inclined to keep the games as kind of the the unit of value. Right. I mean, I'm not really looking to make it a festival weekend. Right. Um. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the more I talk about it, I mean, I, and I haven't seen data like this. I'd like to. I mean, and I mentioned it. I mean, I alluded to it a little earlier. A little earlier. Like NFL fans, I mean, how often does you know your average NFL TV viewer go to an NFL game? So yeah. once a year. And does the and does the fandom grow because of that visit? I mean, I think that certainly helps with engagement and all that, but. Does, does, is that the determinative factor or is getting them to watch multiple games, you know, on TV over a period of years, a better way of, you know, locking them in as a fan? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think it's the latter. I mean, I, I am, I'm, a, I'm an NFL fan, but just because of my location, I don't go. I mean, I, don't, I know you and 
and uh, and John are right smack dab in a market. So, but uh, but as you said, yeah. how many times do you actually go to a game each year? So, um, right, right, and and it's it's funny because in you know the traditional sports model, it's that you know everything starts with selling tickets to the games, and that's great, right? I mean, you you want to have a, a building that's full, and that's you know obviously the you know a really good way to do it, but. You know, for example, if if you're bringing in, you know, a bunch of your fan base and they're coming because, you know, your daughter is going to be going to the dance team, you know, instructional thing the afternoon of the game and then performing that night. I mean, that's fantastic. And you got those people to come into the building and they're, they bought tickets and they'll buy merchandise and food and beverage. And that's all great. I mean, are, are is that really the best way to develop a fan, right? Mm-hmm. That family will have a great time that night. And, and that's good, but are you? Is that really moving you closer to having a national audience right. that you're going to be able to sell? And I, I'm not convinced that it is. Okay, it'll it'll fill up the building, and it makes the and makes the evening fun. So that's an important thing. But is it really? Does that really work in terms of building a fan base in the long term? Is the league? Uh, if if the league finally finalizes everything with this touring model, announces the 2020 season. Um, what type of cities have you and the execs talked about where, where you are looking? Are you looking at any type, uh, any size city? Because obviously there's the Albany's, there is the, the, the Phillies, you know, there is the, I'll throw one, I'll say, you know, there's uh, Stew Falls as an example. Are you look, is there any particular size of a city that you're looking for? Because obviously you have to have a, an arena that houses the, the game system itself and the nets, et cetera, and the size of the field. Any particular uh size cities that you have, have looked at yet, or are you not that far along in the process? I, I mean, we, we're, we're, I mean, we, we've talked about it. We haven't really gotten that far in the process yet. I mean, I would definitely want to play a bunch of games in Las Vegas, right? That, that would make a ton of sense to me. I would definitely be looking at other sports betting operators who have venues or relationship with venues as a potential place to play. Um, you know, so in a state where sports betting is legal and there's a big operation and they have a venue nearby or a deal with a venue, like that would be an ideal situation for us, right? Cause we could go in, we could really, you know, emphasize the sports betting angles. We could, you know, work with the operators on getting sponsored for the game and helping them sign people up, you know, create accounts, make their first bets. We could promote the bets. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting opportunity when you look at it that way. Right. And then, you know, I, I think we would do a mix. We'd probably go to some, you know, markets that were really successful for the AFL in previous years. We definitely would hit some of those. And then I think you just want to hit some of the bigger cities just, you know, to get the, to get the word out there. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's more, you know, it's almost like going to the you know grocery store and, and getting the sample of something. Right. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to introduce people who hadn't been introduced to the game or, or maybe were familiar with it, but haven't for years and years, haven't watched it for years and years. Right. We're trying to put it back out in front of them and then tell them how they can watch it on a regular basis. Right. You know, and, and, you know, telling them, Hey, you know, you can go to games. You live in California. We're going to have games out here every year. You don't, you know, you don't have to live in Columbus to be an arena football fan. I see what you're saying. Okay. All right. 
so it, the other the other comment that that I think a lot about, and it was the weekend of the Arena Bowl, or it was actually right after, right? And we were looking at all the social media stuff, and you know we did really well. I mean, we were getting tons of mentions and and a lot of a lot of interest. I can't tell you when you go look at like the comments on Instagram and on Twitter how many people were like, I had no idea the Arena Football League was even still around. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, so outside of our six markets, I think the knowledge was fairly limited. So that's another thing that I think we could fix with the touring model. You know, especially in the near term, it's probably a better way to get the word out that we're available and open for business. Um, um, you know, that's probably the best way to do it. Okay. And it's true, because if you have had a team in a particular city that may not be there anymore, and you totally forget, if, you know, you don't care about the league anymore, because it's it's a lot, a lot of, for a lot of fans, it is, ba- it, at least in the, uh, not the big, yeah, not, the, not the big four, they are more of a, uh, I'm a fan of a team rather than a league type of thing. And this is something that you would try yeah. to change. Yeah. Um, yep. One thing I wanted you mentioned you mentioned Las Vegas and I ha, at least I, I have to ask this are are you obviously the landscape has changed so dramatically with Las Vegas I mean you have the mini Las Vegas and Atlantic City too so to speak but Las Vegas is a city that has had three Arena Football League teams in the past do you think that will deter you from actually continuing to do multiple games in Las Vegas because it has been the market may have been burned, so to speak, in in the past. I you know I don't I don't know about that. Um, I mean, obviously, we'd have to see. I, I do know that in talking to sports betting operators, there's a lot of enthusiasm oh, about okay. having us play games out there. Okay. And again, it comes down to do I do I think we could play, you know, successfully two, three, four games in Las Vegas. You know, having a sports betting operator behind us to help sponsor it and help market it. Yeah, I think we can. Do I do I think that I can establish a local business operation in, in Las Vegas and build it up and have it thrive over the next five, ten years? I don't that I don't know. Um, but I but I do know, you know, women's basketball has been super successful in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and it's because they have you know, they have the, the backing of you know, the right people. Hockey has obviously been phenomenally successful. I think the NFL is going to be very successful. So I think, I think the market has changed a little bit. And I think what you're seeing is the casinos and the sports betting operators being willing to get more involved in bringing content because it's like a show, right? Right. You can, you can send your, your, you know, your people to, you know, give them comp tickets to go see Celine Dion or Britney Spears, or you can send them to a hockey game or a WNBA game. Right. 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 I mean, it's all just content um, and entertainment. So I, I, I do think that there's a real opportunity there. And I, and I think that when people finally get an opportunity to go to our games and sit there and make bets with their friends and we're promoting bets and we're, telling you who won and you know i mean we're drawing i think it's a very different atmosphere than you've seen in other sporting events and i think places like las vegas and atlantic city would be fantastic okay john so is the ultimate goal to bring back the league the way it was or has that been abandoned permanently yet 
no, nothing's been abandoned permanently. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, just like, you know, MLS started off with, you know, the Anschutzes and the Hunts and, you know, a couple of other owners owning almost all the teams. And, you know, in, a, in, a, in the same way that Monumental and Trifecta owned the teams here in the AFL. Um, I, I think that what you are faced with is the, the, the issue you're trying to confront is how do we get a profitable national footprint as quickly and as efficiently as we can? And what kind of capital is it going to take to create that footprint? So, you know, you've got to answer those questions up front. And I, and I think given, you know, I'm also a big believer. You can only do the deals that you can actually do. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing the funding to continue the older, more traditional model that we had. If I'm wrong and I hope I'm wrong and someone picks up the phone and tells me I'm, I'm all good. But um, I, I think given the capital constraints, I think given the legacy liability issues, and I think given the need to grow a national footprint quickly, the touring model is probably the right answer for now. Okay. Is it the okay. right answer five years from now? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if it's gigantically successful and we're playing games all over the country and it's like WWE, then yeah, maybe you don't need to fix it. Or maybe there's an opportunity to transition back to a traditional model and you're selling operating rights to people. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm focused on keeping this going now and, and putting it in a position to grow. One thing I, I do know from, from speaking with, uh, I spoke with, uh, uh, Jim Foster, who was, you know, obviously the founder of, of arena yeah. football. Yeah. And one thing he, and I asked him about his touring season in 89 and, and, one of the things he, he stated specifically, and it's one thing you have actually said, and I'm glad that you two are actually uh, seem to be on the same page or you're saying, same, saying the exact thing, is that first, uh, a national footprint. Both of you have said that, which I love. And from yeah. what I'm understanding, if I understand you correctly, is that with the, the teams that you're going to be using, there's still going to be a, um, a, a city identifier. You don't want to go to the fact yeah. where it's just going to be it's the soul versus the blackjacks, and and it's like, well, who the hell are they type of thing? You actually want to have a, yeah. lo- a location, so to speak, with these cities. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to maintain that. I'd like to maintain that because I, I mean, I do like I don't. I, I think you, I think it's possible to overemphasize the importance of geography, but geography is still an important part of being a fan, right? You know. That. So I, I would like to keep that geographic connection. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, John and and, and I, I think he'll agree is that it's just like when they did the European uh, exhibitions or in the early days of the Arena Football League, they still kept the team. You still Detroit versus Albany, and it still was packed. So it was kind of like a yeah. touring model in Europe, also sort of similar to what, as I said, what what you what you're currently talking about now. Um, yeah. What's um. Randall, what what's next? I mean, obviously, uh, you know the the bombshell that was dropped to I'm sure a lot of fans on Tuesday. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of misinformation going out about the difference between uh, the league suspending operations and just the local operations have been closed. Which that's which is kind yeah. of a it's 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 an annoyance to me because I know exactly what it is. But um, yeah. What's next? I mean, uh, obviously, there's a, a date within the CBA, not the CBA, but in the lawsuit coming up, I think in mid, uh, close to end of December. 
um, for, I, I guess, uh, doing anything more, uh, any more, I guess, adding things to it or, or, or legally? Because I don't, obviously, I'm not a lawyer. So, yeah. But what's, what's next uh, for the AFO, whether it be through what's happening with the well, lawsuit and then going forward to possibly 2020 and beyond? So I, so I think what we're looking at is we're, you know, we're continuing to, you know, evaluate and hone the touring model as a, as a possible way forward. We're pretty frantically working with people to try to find a way to fund that, um, you know, and operationalize it. But, you know, we're going to have to make a decision, kind of a go or no go decision uh, in the next several weeks, right. um, you know, because, uh, I mean, we're just, we're, we're, we're getting to the end and we're getting to the point where, you know, if we don't have a way forward, you know, in pocket and ready to go soon, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do it for next year. Right. Um, so, you know, we're looking at all those, all of those factors, we're working as fast as we can, but I think we're going to have to make a decision about what we're going to do. Um, you know, and, and whether we're going to be forced to suspend all operations, you know, that, that determination is going to have to come in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So do you think we'll hear that before the Thanksgiving holiday? Yes, I do. Okay. And I, and just for the record, yeah, my, my birthday is on Thanksgiving this year, so it will not be a Thanksgiving announcement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, happy early birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely, I mean, I, I would, I would, we'll make that decision in the next couple of weeks. And I, you know, I'm pretty confident Thanksgiving is the 28th. So we'll, it'll definitely be before then. Okay. Um, obviously, Randall, we're, we're hoping, you know, myself, John, Ben, all the lifers, uh, current fans that that really love this league, we're hoping for the best, obviously, because and I don't want to be sentimental about this if it does occur, but I mean, it it would to me it it would leave a a hole in the football indoor. Well, I, I had to put it this way, an indoor football landscape. But it's you know if there is a point that the you know the legacy of the Arena Football League it has been there. You know, I think people need to remember. If it wasn't for Jim Foster and creating the game of arena football, indoor football would not exist today. And not having yeah. arena football in the landscape after 2020, I think would be uh, it would be it would be it would be saddening. It really would. It would just be a total a total bummer not to not to have it around. So our fingers are crossed. I agree. Our fingers are crossed. We're not going to ask you, and I wouldn't dare ask you what percentage you think it would be that it will be returning or not returning in 2020. We just want I, you to be able to do what you need to do in order to have this touring model, which you've mentioned, if that's what it's going to be. Eight games, yeah. 10 games, six games, whatever. Games are games, in, in our opinion. The league will still be yeah. around. So, um, I, I Look, I, I, I you know getting to meet people like you has been one of the great privileges of this job. And, you know, every, I, you know, I loved going to games and meeting fans and spending time with you guys. And, you know, I have so much respect for the players. So, you know, there, there's no one who wants to make this work more than me. And there are a lot of people who want to make this work. 
So we're, we're doing everything we can. And you know what? I, I mean, there, you know, this is a challenging situation, you know, where you've got kind of the legacy of the league, you know, as an anchor behind you. And I, I think that arena football is a fantastic game. I think there's a future for it. You know, it, it may be a question of, you know, having to, you know, restructure again and take a look at a way to get it back out there. I, you know, I, I don't know. There, there are lots of possibilities and we're evaluating everything we can. We're working as hard as we can to find a way forward because we, we know how much the game means to us and we know how much it means to everyone else. So I think we're all on the same page and I really, really appreciate the love and enthusiasm. Well, I guess I just want to thank you on behalf of all the fans for what you're doing uh, for the league, for the game, and for the fans. Well, I'm a fan too, but thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Of course. Um, and so, and ben, ben says thank you as well. <laughs> well, well and ben, ben knows how I feel about him, so that's, <laughs> that's, between, that's between the two of us. <laughs> um. Commissioner, tell, tell Ben I wish I knew how to quit him. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> um, obviously, we we really greatly appreciate the time that you've given us on this early Saturday morning. Um, I know we were trying to get this together for the past couple of days, and you know, uh, flights. Yeah, you know, so you know, I'm glad we got it. Flights yeah. and et cetera, et cetera, got got kind of cross. You know, missed it, missed this thing up originally, but yep. still, um, we. Uh, again, yeah, we, we thank you for your time, and the main thing is, is that we, uh, you know, thank you for your candor, your openness when you could have been. Um, you actually have given us a lot more information than John and I expected this time around because we we're like you've, you've been so open about a lot of the stuff that I don't think anybody has heard yet, and that's that's what that's what that's why I can say that having a commissioner who is transparent is a plus for the league. He can when a commissioner can say information, right? Just not the polit- the normal politician answer, but when he can actually give some information, even if it's just a slight new tidbit, it means the most to the fans. And uh, again, like John said, we we, we just want to we want to thank you, and uh, we hope to be speaking with you shortly I'll, on what is coming keep, up next. I'm a, I, I'll keep you guys apprised because you know I I. I really value uh, you guys and you do a great job. And from a personal level, I will just say this has been the greatest job of my life. So I'm in no rush to, to do something else. Like, and I have really gotten used to being called Mr. Commissioner. So that is not something I want to give up. So um, I'm in it. You don't want to- <laughs> even if it's for selfish, even if it's for selfish, shallow reasons, I'm in it. So. You don't want to have to change your business cards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I mean, you know, having my kids have to start, you know, not calling me Mr. Commissioner. No, that's the No, I'm not dad. I'm Mr. Commissioner to you, son. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, well, good talking to you. Greatly appreciated, Randall. And again, we hope to speak with you soon. Okay. And uh, we hope you have a, a okay. very good weekend. Okay. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.